Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise. special welcome today to this televised service from the Community Adventist Fellowship at 333 East Glen, uh, Colorado, Glendale. We're glad that every person here today has joined us. We want to give today a very special welcome to our viewers on 3ABN and other stations. We have a very special relationship with 3ABN because they believe in the great mission of the church, which is the preaching of the everlasting gospel. I'm so glad today to welcome my dear friends, uh, Harold and Beverly Follett. We're glad that you folks came today. We're looking forward to meeting with you. Uh, Elder Follett is also my attorney, keeps me out of trouble. When I get into trouble, he helps me get out of it. Today, the topic is the lady who wore purple and scarlet and who rode a beast with seven heads. We're continuing today our studies in the book of Revelation, which of course is a book for our own day and our own time. And we have been working through this great book and explaining with the help of the Holy Spirit the meaning of these wonderful words. I wonder if you'd please turn today, dear people, to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17 and verse 1, which gives us the, the setting. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot, or the great whore, who sits on many waters. We're going to say today, in an amplified way, that this chapter is a chapter about religious conflict. Sometimes we think that the great conflict in the Bible is a conflict between belief in God and atheism, belief, belief in nothing. But this is not so. The story of the great controversy from the day when Lucifer first set himself up to be like God and to set up a counterfeit system is a story, my friend, of religious conflict. When you turn, and we're not going to do so now, but when you turn to the book of Genesis, you read there, right at the very dawn of time, the story of Cain and Abel. It was the story of two young men who both brought sacrifices to God. One was accepted, one was not accepted. It is a story of religious conflict. When you read through the Old Testament, as I have been doing recently, you read there the story of Israel as she battles the gods of the Babylonians and the Philistines and the heathen. It is continually the story of the false religion persecuting the true religion and the battle between the two. 
I discovered this only a few years ago, and this made a personal, personally, this made a great impression upon me. You cannot understand the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, unless you see it, Stephen, in the context of the religious controversy with the Jewish people, particularly the Pharisees. Jesus was continually battling false theological concepts, but more importantly, false attitudes. And then when you come to the Dark Ages, the story of the Dark Ages is the story of religious coercion and bloodshed. It is the story of the Inquisition. It is the story of man's inhumanity to man. And the people who are the most intolerant towards their fellow human beings, the Bible tells me, are religious people. And when you come to the last days, and this chapter, chapter 17, reaches its climax in the last days, once again, it is the story, it is the conflict, it is the story of the conflict between false religion and true religion. And as I was preparing this message for today, there is something that came deep into my heart that the last great conflict and the subject today is about the great scarlet woman. It is about Babylon, the mighty, the great religious dictatorship of the last days. The, la the, the, the great truth that was impressed upon my mind this week was this. The last great conflict is not something over there concerning them. The last great conflict in the world, the struggle between Christ and Satan, is something which will be finally resolved in the human heart. In your heart and mine. And no person is going to be excused from the battle. And this is really the story of Revelation chapter 17. I want you please now to notice it. Revelation 17, and we will go through these verses and study them. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls. Now this, of course, is a direct allusion to the seven last plagues. We studied last week about the, the judgments of God that come upon the earth in the last days. Many people do not like to read the book of Revelation because it gets too close to their hearts. And so the book starts with a revelation. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Read on, please. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. I want you to notice uh, what this is really talking about. Uh, every Jewish scholar, every Roman Catholic scholar, every Protestant scholar will tell you that in Bible prophecy a woman is symbolic of the people of God, the true church, or the false church. A woman simply represents the church. In Revelation chapter 12 you'll remember you have the picture of the woman who is clothed with the sun and who brings Jesus into the world and this is descriptive of the true church. But here we have a harlot which is symbolic of Christianity apostate. 
Christianity that started off very good with good intentions, but Christianity that turned away from a plain, thus saith the Lord, Brenda, and which became an apostate church that wandered away from God. And the Bible tells us here that the woman is seated upon many waters, and if you will remember back to our last study in the book of Revelation, we discovered that Babylon was seated upon the river Euphrates. And the river Euphrates, which is dried up at the battle of Armageddon, symbolizes the peoples in this world who, who rally around this apostate religious system and the people who support this great system, which is really opposed to God. Now the Bible says that this woman has committed adultery with the kings of the earth. And this is a clear identification mark of this system. This is a system which has become joined to the kings of the earth. This is a system which believes in the union of church and state. The church, the true church of God, does not need the government of Washington or the government of any nation to support it. The true church of Jesus has the power of God. And we do not need to lobby the politicians in Washington to come over and help us. But when the church becomes impotent before her enemies, rather than praying for the Holy Spirit and for a mighty revival, the church that is apostate appeals to the civil power. Because this is a carnal church, this is a corrupt church, and this is the church of the dark ages that became wedded to the state and which became the most intolerant power on the face of the earth and which will do its greatest work in the last days. So the Bible says she has slept with the kings of the earth. This is a church, my friend, that does not believe in freedom of conscience. Now if there's anything an American ought to be glad that he has, if he has it, it is freedom to believe in God or not to believe in God. No church, no minister, no priest, has the right to tell you that you must worship God in a certain way. The soul of man was created for freedom. I was called to worship God because I want to worship God. Let me tell you this, my friend. If the state or the church has to light a fire under you or me to cause me to come to church and to worship God, that is an evidence that I am not willing to worship God. The only worship that God will accept and the only worship that God wants is a worship that flows from a heart spontaneously with love. You see. A person who goes to church because he's afraid he's going to burn in hell has never understood the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel tells us that the love of God 
motivates us, the love of God constrains, not restrains, the love of God constrains us. I must worship God and do worship God, not because I am paid by the conference to worship God, or because I'm afraid of the fires of hell, but because of the fires of Calvary. Because he loved me and he gave himself for me. But this church, my friend, the, the woman who wears scarlet and purple and who rides upon the beast has never felt the throb of the love of God. It is a legalistic church. It is motivated by fear. If you are motivated by fear, if you look upon religion as simply a fire escape or an insurance policy to save you from the fires of hell, then my friend, you have never come in contact with the great love of the Father. And so here is a church that believes in sleeping with the state because that's the way she can coerce people. She believes in legislation and in decrees. Now notice verse 4, if you don't mind. Revelation 17 and verse 4. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. She is an extravagant woman and she seems to have a great deal of jewelry that she wears. It appears it appears so. She is an extravagant woman adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. What she should do with her gold and precious stones and pearls is make a donation for the campaign in Pasadena, Harold. That's what she should do. Then she may be redeemed. The woman was, and that is not giving any person in the congregation any hints. Not at all. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. And her great sin, my friend, is not that she is wearing purple and scarlet. They are the colors of royalty. There's nothing wrong with that. Her great sin is not that she is wearing jewelry. Her great sin is that she is carnal and she cares not for people. That is her sin. She spends her money on herself. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Some time ago, when I was in the, the great city of Rome, which in many ways is the greatest city in the world historically and culturally, I had the privilege of doing some television work in the Church of Jesus that is owned by the Jesuits. It is one of the greatest churches in the world. I went there for the religious service and I was enthralled by the beauty of the service and enthralled by the music. But the beauty of a religious service is no indication that God is in it. I want you to know this. But it was a beautiful service, and as I wandered around the church of the Jesuits in Rome, I noticed there on the left side of the church, as you face the great high altar, which is done in the Baroque style and which is utterly magnificent. On the left-hand side, there is the statue of a woman. And she is a beautiful woman, and in one hand she holds the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, and in the other hand she holds a flaming torch. 
and written in Latin beneath it, beneath the woman, beneath the, the, the statue, are the words, the church, the true church, casts down the heresy. And so it is recognized by Catholic scholars as well as by Protestant and Jewish scholars that the woman, whoever she might be, is symbolic of the church. And so this woman here, my friend, who rides upon the beast is symbolic of Christianity which is gone to seed. It is Christianity which has become so tied up with politics and the traditions of men that it has lost the power of God and the beast she rides upon is symbolic of the state. Please listen to me. This great land of the United States of America was founded by people who had a strong belief in religious freedom, who did not always understand the necessity of the separation of church and state. And the Pilgrim Fathers came to this land to get away from the persecutions of the woman who is here described. And one of the tragedies was that when they got over to this country, they set up for a number of years a system that was very much like the system that is described here. And they persecuted the Protestants when they got to America, persecuted other Protestants, and they persecuted other Christians like Roman Catholics. But as the nation became matured in philosophy and in religious thinking, the nation came to the place where they formulated the First Amendment that says that church and state ought to be separate because the church does not need the support of the state because the church has the support of God. But this church here in Revelation 17 in the last days will do her most pernicious work by the union of the church with the state. Please read on a little further, please, and notice it in the Bible, and give God an opportunity to talk to you today, please. Open your mind. Give God an opportunity. On her forehead, a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the earth. We would wonder, why would a religious system be called Babylon? You will remember that in the book of Genesis, it talks about the people after the flood, and how the people after the flood, because they were in rebellion against God, said that they were going to build them a tower that would reach to the stars. And they said, we will make a name for ourselves. That is the very essence, Harold, of Babylon. We will make a name for ourselves. And they set up a religion that was going to defy the God of heaven, and God came down and confused their languages, and hence it was called Babel. Babylon came from Babel, and Babylon stands for rebellion against God, and it issues in confusion to the world and confusion to the mind. When I was visiting the city of Babylon, I went there firstly 20 years ago, went back just a little while ago. 
when we went back to Babylon last time, an amazing thing happened. And this is a little side clause that has nothing to do with the sermon. But we had gone down to Babylon early in the morning and we had climbed up the hill which is Nebuchadnezzar's winter palace, a great old place. As we climbed up the hill, a little jackal ran out of the ruins and scampered across the rocks according as it is written in scripture that Babylon would become a place where the animals would go. It would be completely destroyed. But as we went up there and we stood on the top of the mound and we got out our camera and we got out the tripod which looked like a large bazooka, immediately overhead came at least six large Iraqi helicopters. <laughs> and uh, we had no idea why we were the center of attention. And then a little while later, a detachment of Iraqi soldiers, ever so gracious to us, I might add too, came puffing up the hill and the, and the captain said to us, oh, what are you doing? We said, we're taking pictures uh, to show back in America and in Australia on the wonders of ancient Babylon. And he said, we have, uh, we've had to hold up everything because Saddam Hussein's uh, motor car and his uh, tanks and so forth to protect him were traveling along down the road and had stopped just beneath us. <laughs> um, but while I was in Babylon, a scholar traveled through that part of, of the city with me and he said to me, you know, it is an interesting thing that almost everything in our Western culture that we think is uniquely British or American, or German, or European, has its origin here. He said, for instance, take the ceremony of Ishtar, which is called Easter today. It goes back here to the days when the Babylonians worshipped Ishtar, the moon goddess. And there in the old city of Babylon, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, Satan set up a counterfeit religious system. That is why that old British scholar, Dr. Hislop, wrote the book, The Two Babylons, in which he shows the close relationship between the system of false religion in the world today and the system as it originated in the old city of Babylon. Let me tell you some of the similarities. The ancient Babylonians believed in righteousness by works. They believed that a person could earn merit with God. And when a person earned enough merit with God through what he did, then he would be accepted by the gods. They had a man who ruled over them, and his name was Pontifex Maximus, which meant the bridge between heaven and earth. They had a system of priests, and the Babylonians were taught to go and confess their sins to the, to the earthly priests. They were sun worshippers. They believed that the sun God was the one who was worthy of their, of their adoration. And they worshipped the celestial queen, the virgin goddess of heaven. And history tells the story that when Babylon was overthrown, the priests of Babylon fled to the city of, of Pergamos in Asia Minor. And from Pergamos, the priests of, of Babylon went to the old city of Rome itself. And from the old city of Rome itself was disseminated the teachings that have come down to our own day and age. And so the Bible teaches 
that what often we call Christian is nothing less than the ancient mysteries of the ancient Babylonians come down and baptized with holy water and accepted as the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know today that every person here ought to be religious, but religious as far as the truth of the word is concerned. This chapter is a, tre a tremendous indictment against religion. And that is the false religion that has come down to our own day and age and which is called Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations. Verse 6 describes what she does. Verse 6 describes what she does. And I saw the woman or the church drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Isn't this hard to believe? That here you've got people who profess to be Christians and who profess to believe in God and they're drunk with the blood of the saints. Let me tell you folks something. You're listening to me? Why is it, I'm asking this to you, why is it, I almost am ashamed to ask the question, but let me do so. Why is it that so many churches and so many Christians have a name for intolerance and bigotry? Why is it that so many Christians, if they have the power, will persecute. Why is it that so many of us, and I'm not talking about us specifically here, but I'm talking about us generically as Christians, why is it that so many of us have a name in society for being so critical and so cruel and so hard and so harsh, and why have so many people left the church? Why have so many people left the church? It is because too often the, the people who take the name of Jesus do not understand the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus, when it is understood and accepted, will make a person kind and gracious and forgiving it will take out of his soul the canker of criticism, am I getting close to anybody, and bitterness and meanness and self-righteousness. And it is because this church that is described here is a legalistic church that knows all about the policies of the church, that knows all about the rules of the church, but doesn't know the Christ of the gospel. It is a dead hateful church. And this church persecutes people. I want you to know this. The religion of our Lord Jesus Christ has never persecuted a single soul. It is the religion of Antichrist that persecutes. I had the privilege some time ago of going to one of my favorite spots in the world and that's the north of Italy northern Italy, and went into the Piedmont Valley, which is where the world Ensis used to worship God, 
you may have gone there. I think it's the Chisadalatana. I don't know if I'm saying it right, into that cave. Yeah, Tara Palachi is the little town there. Then there's the Kisa Dalatana, you know the cave, Steve. And they'll tell you the story of how these people, the Waldenses, were in there on the Sabbath worshipping God and they were massacred in that cave. In the name of Jesus. In the name of God. It is something that's a little scary to recognize that the inquisitors who put women, pregnant women, on the rack and turned the rack until their limbs came out, who burned people, fried them in oil, were the very, very best. As they turned the thumbscrews, they were muttering their prayers. God, help me to love this person. Help me to save this heretic. They didn't do it because they hated those people. They didn't do it because they were monsters as we would think. They did it to save their souls and for the love of God. I want to tell you something. I look you in the eye. Religion will either make you much better or else it will make you into a child of hell. And there are many people who go to our own churches who are pious, but they're hard, harsh, critical, and would turn the thumbscrews to save souls for the glory of God. Here is a church that is drunken with the blood of the saints, and she's drunk because she's never experienced the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beware of religion. Beware of religious people. Beware of people who go to church except those who know the gospel. Hear what I'm saying? Mm, don't just listen to this sermon today and say, oh, that's talking about the church of the dark ages, the church over in Europe. No, it's, it can apply to us. Verse 7, the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast which you saw was, and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. This is the Antichrist. The Antichrist is a counterfeit of the true Christ. Can you think of a person who lived, and who was not, and who went down into the bottomless pit, and he came up again? Can you think of a person who went through that? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus received a deadly wound, but Jesus was resurrected. What Jesus does, so does the Antichrist. Even though Satan is flung down on many occasions, he has a continual revival. You may think that we have won the battle over Satan and everything is going to be smooth sailing. I tell you, my friend, he may receive a deadly wound. He received the deadly wound at Calvary when his back was broken. He received the deadly wound through the preaching of the Protestant reformers. He received the deadly wound in 1798. But the deadly wound is continually healed. The beast which you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit, that's the last great conflict, and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. 
Is your name written in that book? When they see the beast that was and is not, and yet is, even though he gets the deadly wound, he comes back. Here is the mind which has wisdom, the seven heads, the seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are seven kings. Now you need to follow this carefully. There are seven kings. Five have fallen. This is written from the days of, of the Roman Empire. Five have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. When he comes, he must continue a short time. Most Bible scholars will point out the obvious truth that there have been basically seven great kingdoms through which the Antichrist has worked. The Bible mentions those powers starting with Egypt, then Assyria, then Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And the Bible says one was still to come and that was to be the great amalgamation of church and state which would do its greatest work in the last days and continue for a short time. Please read on if you don't mind. Verse 10 and 11, these are somewhat difficult verses and I would not want to be unduly dogmatic. There are also seven kings. These are the seven great kingdoms through which the Antichrist has worked. Five have fallen. Uh, they were out of the way. One is, that was the Roman Empire, the one that is. And the other has not yet come. The last great amalgamation of church and state. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. And the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. Now what does it mean? Let me tell you what I think it means. The Bible says that there are seven, seven kingdoms. But the Bible says the seventh is also the eighth. The seventh bears the number eight because eight represents the beast in its last resurrection. Eight is the number of the resurrection. As Jesus was raised from the grave on the eighth day, so this power, the last great antichrist that is going to ravage the world and the church of God is number seven, but also it is number eight. It is the beast in its last resurrection form ready for the final fling. Now notice verses 12 and onwards for the final uh, conflict. The last great showdown, the worldwide confederacy. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who received no kingdom as yet. But they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Thank God for that. He's going to overcome them. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Now what does this mean? Let me try to explain it to you. The Bible says, in the last days, and I believe we are living in the last days, the Bible says there is going to come a great confederation. And the kings of the earth are going to join together. You can read about this, of course, in Revelation 13. The church, 
the great Christian church, the Bible says, or a large aspect of it, will fall away from Christ and the truth. And the Bible says that the kings of the earth are going to join together, and when they join together in this great super church, the United, Sta uh, the United Nations of the world, the United States of the world, the Bible says that this great organization is going to make war against the God of heaven in the person of his saints. And so the Bible says, and we studied this in Revelation 13, please listen to this, because this is not a weak word, Bob. This is a strong word. The Bible says, the greatest conflict in the history of the world and the church has been reserved for our own day and age. The Bible says that these powers will unite together for a short time and they will make war against God's people and when they make war against the Lamb, God steps in because when they make war against his people, God says, they're making war against me. And when they make war against the children of God, Jesus himself comes to their aid and the river Euphrates, as we spoke about two weeks ago, the water is dried up and Babylon is overthrown and the people of God are saved and they are delivered. I want you to know this today, whatever happens to the church of God, whatever the persecution, God is in charge and God will finally deliver his people. That is the great message of this chapter. And I want you to know this. I am not saying to you that we're going to be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. But I am telling you that there is victory for the faithful child of God who looks to Christ and who believes in the true gospel. So be of good courage. Read on. In Revelation 17, is it verse 14? Let me read it again. Verse 14. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb, that's Jesus, he will overcome them. He is Lord of lords, and King of kings, nobody can beat him. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. And he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. They're the peoples of the earth who support this great Babylonian system. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, this is amazing. These will, it doesn't say these will love the harlot, but it says these will hate the harlot, make it desolate and naked, eat of flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. What does that mean? When it says that the kings of the earth are going to hate the harlot and they're going to strip her naked and they're going to burn her with fire. I'll tell you what it means, it's very plain. When you come to the battle of Armageddon which takes place as we studied a little while ago under the sixth plague, 
the leaders in this world and the people in this world are going to wake up and find out that they have been deceived. They're going to find out that the people whom they have hated and they have persecuted are not the scum of the earth, but they are the saints of God. They're going to find out that they have been backing a loser. They're going to discover that this power that worked miracles and this power that came in the name of God and this power that did wonders before their eyes, they're going to discover that this super-duper religious colossus is nothing less and nothing more than a gigantic fraud. And the Bible says they are going to turn against their religious leaders. And the Bible says just before Jesus comes, the eyes of the wandering multitudes are going to be opened. And they're going to wake up and they're going to say, we're lost, we're lost, we're lost. And it's too late, we can do nothing about it. And then under the sixth plague during the battle of Armageddon, Babylon is destroyed by her own supporters. And they turn against the apostate religious leaders. They turn against the amalgamation of church and state. And they strip it naked and they burn it with fire. And Jesus comes and saves his people. What a, what a future. I tell you what my problem is. My problem is because of my limited brain capacity, like all of us who are fallen sinful human beings, we do not comprehend or understand the magnitude of the great controversy and what God has set before us. And we have come to the place where we want to go to church and hear some pretty smart smug, useless little psychology sermon that pats me on the hat and says, you're a good boy, you're okay and I'm okay and we're all going to heaven together. That is not the teaching of the Bible. The teaching of the Bible calls us to Christ and calls us to repentance and calls us to contrition and calls us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Anything else is a sham and a humbug. Now, one other verse. One other verse. Revelation 17, verse 18. And the woman, the church whom you saw, is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. What city is it? Most of us would say, and I would agree, that it is the city of Rome. But I want to tell you something else today, and this is going to seem like having your cake and eating it too. Revelation 11 and verse 8 says that the great city is Jerusalem. You know that, Steve? It says, the great city where also our Lord was crucified. How can this city be Jerusalem? How can this city be Rome? How can this city be Babylon? I am suggesting today that this city is Jerusalem which represents the church of God. But it is Jerusalem that has turned away from God. It is the church that has turned away from God. And when the church turns away from God, God says, don't call her Jerusalem, call her Babylon. And this great system 
of apostasy eventually became headquartered in a great city over there, the city of the seven hills, the city of Rome, and spread its poison around the world. But the great city started out, my friend, not as Babylon, not as, Jeru not, not as, not as Rome, but it started out as Jerusalem. So how does that affect you? It tells me this, Harold, that just as an individual Christian like you or me can go to seed and apostatize, so can a church or a denomination. I do not believe in once saved, always saved for an individual or for a church. Therefore, we ought to be very careful to say, I belong to the remnant church, and the church goes through to glory, meaning the institution. The Bible doesn't teach it. The Bible says the people of God go through to glory, but never the institution. The church, the institution, let us be careful in our definitions of the church. You see? And so here you have the great city, which is Jerusalem, but it is a city that turns from God and goes to seed and becomes Babylon the harlot and is centered over there in Rome and which fills the earth with filth. What can we learn? Listen to this. Number one, what can we learn from this chapter? Babylon is more than a certain institution. And that's a bit hard for us Adventists to take. Babylon's more than an institution. We have self-righteously, when we have preached, preached this chapter, including myself, we have pointed to a certain institution and we say, that's Babylon over there and where are the goody-goodies? And we have become a rather self-righteous people. I want to read you a statement. The spirit of Babylon, of commerce with the world, of sacrifice of the things of Christ while retaining the name of Christ is not restricted to Roman Catholic or Protestant camps. It is a soul malady capable of invading the most evangelical of groups in this heart. Wherever the true gospel is not cherished, wherever the word becomes secondary to human tradition, or the priesthood of believers to hierarchy, or principle to principal, or spirit to flesh, or Christ to self, there is Babylon. My brother, if you put the cross aside and if you put your own commerce and your own self in the place of God, you've got Babylon in your heart. Don't condemn this other great organization. Babylon can be right here in my heart. Wherever the gospel is not cherished, wherever the word becomes secondary to human tradition or our policies or the priesthood of believers to hierarchy, there is Babylon. Number two. Here's the second lesson. Only the religion that came from God can lead us to God. Religion is not necessarily a good thing. I say to you today, beware of most religions. And beware most of all of the most religious people. The people who are sprouting religion all the time are usually the biggest crooks. Beware of them. The Antichrist is not communism or atheism. It is religion perverted. Therefore, I say, only the religion that came from God can lead to God, and that's the religion of the cross. 
Number three, we need to form our own convictions from personal study of the Word of God. This is where Babylon went astray. That's where the church went astray. They had all these church councils and they deliberated and they debated, but all that they brought out was junk. And they glorified it and they said, look at our great choirs, and I'm all for great choirs. And they said, look at our wonderful ceremony and look at our power. And God said, it's humbug. And God said, you're a harlot. So I say to you today, only the religion that came from God can lead to God and we ought to forge our opinions, not from coming to church and listening. Not from going to church historians and theologians. We ought to form our opinions ourselves from the Word of God. Not be like the poor person who was asked the question, what does your church believe? He said, oh, he said, my church believes what I believe. What do you believe? I believe what my church believes. Well, what is your church and you believe? We both think the same. That's the religion of Babylon. We need to have the attitude of Martin Luther who said, unless I'm convinced by the plain text of the Bible, I cannot and I will not recant. I say to you today, let us have a faith that is an individual faith and that is not based upon what I preach or anything else, but it is based upon our own convictions from the Bible. Therefore, you cannot be a true believer of Jesus if you don't read your Bible. And don't criticize other people. And don't put down other people if you do not have the spiritual gumption to spend some time every day reading the Bible and getting your own convictions. And don't come to me and say, God told me this morning to tell you that because I don't believe it. I do not believe in people who are seeing visions and dreams and impressions unless it is based on a thus saith the Lord. Give it to me from the Bible. And the Bible, and the Bible alone, I mean alone. I'm a Protestant. Ultimate authority. The ultimate authority is God speaking through his word. The mark of the beast is conformity to church decrees. Don't forget Luther, here I stand. Don't forget the College of the Barbs in the Waldensian Valleys. You know how they taught those men? Those men that shook the world? Those men who were men and not religious wimps? They had a, I've been into their study room where they had their college. I had a big old stone table and on the table there was a book, the book of God. John Wesley said, quoting Latin, he said, I want to be a man of one book. Give me at any cost, he said, the book of God. I say to you, and I've said it to you before, as your pastor, if after all this preaching, I've not led you into a personal experience where you're going to read your Bible every day, then I have failed you desperately. Or maybe you failed yourself. Number five, true spiritual success is not outward show or a grand ceremony. It is humbly trusting in the merits of Jesus and distrusting our own selves. It is like Martin Luther kneeling before the cross and saying, for me, for me, for me. 
And number six, here it is, wealth doesn't count. Babylon's got all the money in the world. I've seen it. I've gone into the treasury in Rome. I've seen it. I've seen the gold and gold and gold and gold and gold and gold and the diamonds and all the rest of the junk. One theologian said, the desire to accumulate more and more possessions is the sign of an empty heart that knows not God. Are you a person who is never satisfied? I saw a movie once and the gangster was asked, well, how much more do you want? He said, just more. Just more. The desire to accumulate more and more possessions is the sign of an empty heart that knows not God. To possess Him is to possess all things. But to have all things and not Him is to have nothing. I want to tell you, you may think you're smart today because you've got a lot of money. You may say, I've got it made. I've taken so many funerals, I've forgotten how many. But you know, a dead man, you know how much he leaves? He leaves it all, my friend. Another man said, we are simply animated mud on the way to dust. I'll never forget on the front of a ministry magazine, Stephen, there was a picture of a beautiful girl looking in a mirror. The mirror was shaped like this. Shaped like this. And she had all her little bottles of confectionery and stuff. Not, well, no, not, what do you call it? Perfumes. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, makeup, all that stuff. I'm out of my element here. But she had all those bottles. And I know in our bathroom, there's just tons of this stuff. I pushed it aside to wash my face. There's bottles here everywhere. All different sizes. And I go into the girls' bathrooms, and it's worse. It's like an old curiosity shop. Bottles, stuff hanging, draped. You know what it's like. And so on the front of the magazine, there was a picture of this girl looking into this mirror shaped like this with all the bottles. She was a beautiful girl. Long black hair, beautiful dark eyes, beautiful cheeks. And when you hold it out from you, you know what it becomes? It becomes a scowl. And the bottles become her teeth. Scowl. Animated mud on the way to dust. To have everything and not have Christ is to have nothing. But to have Christ is to have everything I need. Amen. That is the message of Revelation 17. May God apply it to your hearts. And if there's some sinner sitting here today who's self-righteous, the hardest people to reach are not the KGB, because I preached to them, saw them weep. The hardest people to reach are the old-time religionists who come to my meetings, who've heard it all, who are filled with pride and criticism and sourness and bitterness and full of money and going to hell in their religiosity. I ask you today to forsake the religion of Babylon. That's why the Bible says, come out of her, my people.